Welcome back to the Yankee Air Pirate Podcast. I'm Pat Stratton and I'm your host. This is another special edition of the podcast. It was recorded on Freedom Day for the Yankee Air Pirate, March 4th, 2020. After the Yankee Air Pirate returned from Vietnam in March of 1973, he continued to serve on active duty in the Navy for many years. His last assignment before he retired was running the Naval Academy Prep School, known as NAPS, in Newport, Rhode Island from 1981 to 1986. It was during this tour that I was fortunate enough to serve under his command and graduate as a member of the great NAPS class of 1983. Today, as we celebrate the 47th anniversary of Freedom Day, my classmate and good friend, Craig Perry, from that great NAPS class of 83, stopped by for a visit with his beautiful wife, Kay, and we decided to sit down and record a quick podcast just before happy hour with the Yankee Air Pirate. Everyone from the great NAPS class of 1983 knows Craig and his larger-than-life personality from back in the day. Not much has changed. He's still got all that. The Yankee Air Pirate and I got to discuss with Craig his thoughts on NAPS, his Navy career, and some of the great people that touched our lives many years ago. Today, Craig and Kay are the owners and operators of Da Marino Italian Restaurant in New York City. In my opinion, they have the best Italian food in the city, and there's no place more fun to eat a meal. During your next trip to New York City, make sure you stop by for lunch or dinner before or after a Broadway show. You might be seated next to the boss. That's right, Bruce Springsteen or any other number of celebrities that eat there on a regular basis. When you get there, make sure you tell them the Yankee Air Pirate sent you. So let's get right back to it. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Yankee Air Pirate Podcast. Naps 83. It's so awesome that you made the trip down here to uh, Jacksonville today to be with the Yankee Air Pirate today on the 47-year anniversary of Freedom Day. Uh, I love you, man. It, it's so cool to see you. Well, same here. It's an honor and it's, a privilege to be here. It, isn't it awesome to see Craig again? I tell you what, I much more appreciate the fact that Kay came along with him, but I think that, yeah, second only to Kay, it's a delight having him here. My better half. Well, I got to agree with you with that. I still love you, brother. <laughs> Same here. Um, but um, anyway, so um, what's unique about this, so you're here at the 47-year anniversary of Freedom Day, uh, this is your second Freedom Day celebration Correct. that you've been at uh, with the family. Back in 1983, in the spring of our uh, NAPS year uh, up at Newport, Rhode Island, you attended the 10-year the, uh, anniversary of, of Freedom Day in our Coasters Harbor Island house there. T- tell me what you remember about that, Craig. Well, it was such an honor and a privilege to be invited over to, to your house and uh, Mrs. Stratton was the first one that greeted me when I got there, and she was absolutely wonderful, made me feel very comfortable, your mom, 
And I'll never forget how welcoming I was made to feel. And it was a bit intimidating as well because the, the people that were there in my mind and in my eyes were all heroes. So to walk into a room full of your heroes, it was uh, impressive but also quite intimidating. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. And, um, Dad, remember we had uh, Mom uh, made the pumpkin soup for us that day. No, uh, nobody really ate much of that pumpkin soup. You folks really didn't appreciate the fine cuisine that the Vietnamese communists presented to us in the Wallow prison. And uh, cabbage, kohlrabi, pumpkin was by far the best soup at all, and, of all, and you really missed something. <laughs> Well, I don't know. We we weren't big fan. Uh, you know, today uh, maybe instead of uh, pumpkin soup, maybe we'll stick to a liquid diet and we'll pour some bourbons bourbons on ice. That sounds more appealing to me. I don't know about you. Just as long as the ice cubes are small, that's fine. <laughs> I'm uh, in. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, well, Craig. For obviously everybody uh, in the great Naps class in 1983 and all our Naval Academy classmates uh, from 1987 know who you are. But there's a lot of listeners on this podcast that uh, don't know Craig Perry, don't know a lot about you. Uh, so I, I'd, I'd like to go through a couple lightning round questions so people can get to know you a little bit and uh, let you know where, where, let everybody know where you're coming from. So you come from uh, Long Island, New York, and uh, you showed up at NAPS, the Naval Academy Prep School, uh, as a young kid. What were your first impressions? What, what did you think when you showed up to the Naval Academy Prep School in the summer of 1982? Well, it's one of those things that I feel you're never prepared for, no matter how many stories you hear about it or what you could try to learn about it. When I showed up, I remember my parents dropping me off, and I was put up against a wall in the back of the building, and within... A minute of being against the wall, I had a midshipman from the Naval Academy yelling at me in my face, screaming at me, and I could look over and see my parents, and they're crying by the car, and they're sitting there, <laughs> and I am saying to myself, what did I get myself involved in? I was going to Notre Dame. I was going to play football there. I was so excited, and now I'm getting yelled at, so I was quite intimidated, to be honest with you, uh, but as the year progressed... I, I look back fondly at NAPS that year and the friendships I made, and it was like the best way to describe it, I feel, is a coming of age. Okay. I became a man. I grew up. I learned lessons there that I carry with me to today, and a lot of those lessons came from Captain Stratton, actually, and I still use them today. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, personally, it, the Naval Academy midshipmen that were there in Dr. Nadius, that, that was the least of my problem. My problem was Gunny Ski, oh, our lead drill instructor, uh, Gunnery Sergeant Novglaski. I got to tell you, that guy scared the crap out of me. So tell me what your first impression was of Gunnery Sergeant Novglaski. When I... He didn't even have to say anything to me. Just looking at him, I knew <laughs> I was going to have to buy more underwear because I was crapping myself right there. <laughs> Just his glare I underneath know. the brim of that hat scared the crap out yeah. of me. So I knew I that know. that Christmas I was asking for more underwear because I knew I was done yeah. with that. So that was my first impression. So, Dad, Dad where do you find uh, drill instructors like Gunny Ski? Did they come special order? Actually, they do come special order. The Marine Corps gets to put in uh, 
representatives to every one of our acquisition programs, and they are very carefully screened to make sure that they represent every value of the Corps and their particular um, military occupational specialty, MOS. So you get the best of the best of the drill instructors, and Gunny Ski never had to say anything to me. All he had to do was look at me, and I had the same reaction as you. <laughs> yeah. I, I think Gunny Ski came to us in, in a, encased in glass with a sign underneath it, break in, in time of war. Yeah. Let loose. <laughs> he, he is a bad dude. Uh, he sure was good at his job, oh, boy, and, yeah. and he was good to us. And uh, he, he's a gem of a guy who I'm still in touch with to this day, and I think you are too. I, yes, I, I, I was, and I had the, the privilege actually many years later in Hawaii. I was stationed in Hawaii. I was the storage officer. I was a lieutenant commander, storage officer at the Navy Supply Center. And my secretary says, there's somebody here to see you. I said, well, who is it? There's just somebody here to see. I'd send him in. And this Marine comes into my office, stands literally, you know, 36 inches from my desk. I could have broken out a ruler and known that it was exactly that amount. And he pops to, salutes me, and it's Gunnery Sergeant Nevglowski. And I, so excited to see him, jump behind my desk and run to him and, like, hug him. And, and he's <laughs> sitting there saluting me, and I am just like, Gunny Ski. It was just so great to see him. I think I took him back, and till that moment, he would never break his posture, his military barrier, or anything else. It was so impressive. How did he feel about the hug? Was he a little uncomfortable with the hug? Yes, (laughs) absolutely, absolutely. I mean, he kept calling me sir, and I kept saying, don't call me sir, honey, I'm here because of you. You, uh, He was just the the epitome of of military bearing, uh, class act, and a tremendous man, person as well as a Marine. So, Craig, one more thing I, I want to talk about before we, we get a little bit more into this today. I, I want people to know, you know, so you, you graduated NAPS with me in, in the class of 83. We graduated from the academy together in 87, and we both got our commissions, and, and we went on our way. You had a 20-year career in the Navy as a Supply Corps officer, which I want to t- talk more about later. Um but what I want to ask you now, during that 20-year career of all the duty stations you served at all over the world, is there one that you can point to and say that was your favorite tour, that was your most rewarding tour? Well, other than NAPS, like I, I said previously, it was a coming-of-age experience for me and the people and everything else. Um, I can honestly say I, I had a great career. Uh, I enjoyed all my duty stations. Uh, some more than others, and those that were less enjoyable, I will tell you this, I, I implored the lessons that Captain Stratton told us. The, one of the first days we got to, to NAPS was always keep your sense of humor. You know, in the face of adversity, when things seem to be going bad, they could always go worse. Keep your sense of humor, keep your faith, stay focused, and it'll turn around. And uh, I've always implored that on those duty stations that were less enjoyable, but I would think if I had to pick one, it would probably be my department head tour on a USS Fletcher DD-992. Uh, that was probably my most personally rewarding and professionally rewarding tour. Okay. All right. Do you have any particular uh, favorite memories of the Yankee Air Pirate here? Do you want to share any dirt with us today? Well, I can't I can't share any dirt. I could just <laughs> share the the... Lessons what, that what's I learned. That, what's that look there, the Dad? I saw, I, I saw a look. 
Nothing. I'll just let him go and hang himself. <laughs> I'm actually still quite intimidated by him, so I'm not going to say anything bad. But there really is nothing to say bad. I, I learned a tremendous respect for Captain Strand. I've learned uh, so much from him. And I am so fortunate that here I am 37 years later, and I not only look at him as a mentor, I also look at him as a friend. And I feel very grateful and very fortunate for that. Yeah, well, we all think of you as a friend, and uh, you do so much for so many people. And I'll talk about that uh, a little bit more later. Um, but I, I want to get back to Naps, and I want to talk a little bit more. We were really fortunate at our time in Naps, the great Naps class of 1983. We really had a cast of characters there. Uh, another guy we had there was a guy by the name of Major Mattis at the time, then General Mattis, then Secretary Mattis, right. although Secretary just doesn't seem to fit well in front of his Not name. Not with dog. <laughs> no. Uh, what a tremendous man. So uh, tell me what some of your favorite memories of working and being a student at the Naval Academy Prep School when uh, future General of Marines, uh, then Major Mattis, was walking the hallways with us. Well, it, it's funny because I, I say this quite often, and just recently at the restaurant, uh, Vice Admiral Ed Straw, Naval Academy grad supply officer, was in, and we were talking over dinner. And I said to him, I said, Admiral, I said, my first commanding officer was Captain Stratton, and my first XO was Major Mattis. I said, every captain in XO from that moment on for the rest of my career always fell short. <laughs> you know, I was felt, you know, four aces in a hand when I went to Naps and had Captain Stratton and, and Major Mattis. I, I lucked out. I always held everybody to their high esteem. And Major Mattis was just a wonderful man. I, I would sit in his office. I was a platoon commander at Naps, and I would meet with him once a week or so, and he always had words of wisdom, but he was also had a, a very calming effect. You know, we, we dealt with, you know, Gunny Ski and Captain DeCamp, and those guys were damn intimidating. You went with, you know, you went into to Major Mattis' office, and he actually had a calming effect. He spoke to you, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, gentleman to gentleman. He had words of wisdom, and I'll never forget, he always said, Craig, remember when you become an officer, every choice you make is, and every decision that you make is filled with consequences that you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life. And that has stuck with me all of these years. And he had tons of sayings like that that he would just spill off the top of his, his mind yeah. that he lived by. And I always admired him for the type of leader that he was. He was always a hands-on, can-do, and made you feel comfortable to sit with him and discuss things with him. Uh, I, I really admire yeah. him tremendously. Yeah, we are really lucky to, to have Major Mattis with us. Dad, where did you... Where did you uh, go about finding a guy like that? And when you knew him back in the early 80s, did, did you see uh, what the future would hold for a guy like that? Well, once again, we go back to the Marine Corps sends its best and its brightest into the joint duty tours. And you know that because you had Colonel Ripley as the senior Marine when you were down at the uh, Naval Academy. And so Jim Mattis was the same type of a quality uh, choice that they made and sent up there because he not only was the XO and the title, I think, was battalion officer, but he also was designated as the Marine Corps representative at the Naval Academy Preparatory School, personal representative of the Commandant of the Marine Corps. And he always conducted himself in that manner. 
Yeah, he he was like Craig said he 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 was able to get things done without ever ro- raising his voice. Uh, but y- you would never want to do anything to cross uh, a man like that ever. So I, I do have a funny major mattis slash yankee air pirate story that i want to hit off you and see if you remember this so you remember the time that we were sitting up on the second floor of our dormitory was at nimitz hall nimitz hall, right? nimitz hall and my dad was a year or two probably a couple of years away from retirement and he he you weren't exactly a track star let's just call a spade a spade right and you didn't like to run but the commander of the base forced you to take a physical fitness test. <laughs> and so you weren't too happy about that. But you went out, put on your, your uh, running clothes, and you had to have a cigar right, had stuck a cigar in, in his it. Mouth. <laughs> and you ran around the track with, uh, with Major Mattis. Mattis. What, what do you remember about that? Well, I remember it very well that the <laughs> surface warfare community really didn't warmly welcome aviators uh, at their home base at Newport, and they loved to yank my chain. <laughs> and one of them was that they took a look at my uh, rotund physique and, <laughs> and decided that I should go through the regular f- physical fitness test that uh, these young 19-year-olds were going through. So the major and I determined that we would take care of that, no problem. I got into some sort of a Mickey Mouse track outfit, pulled out the longest cigar I could find, we lit up the cigar, and uh, with all due respect, uh, the, the major did not embarrass me by running with me because he could walk and outrun me. <laughs> he stood there with the stopwatch as I ran around the perimeter and did whatever the required distance was and smoked my cigar. And uh, the only reason I think I made it was I, half the Knapps Battalion was up there <laughs> hanging out the window, cheering, applauding, and a few of them were jeering. Just for the record, that was not me jeering. By the way, <laughs> me either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure who that was, but that that was a funny story. And uh, I, I did. I, I've talked about this uh, with uh, General Mattis as well, and he was quite concerned. He didn't think you were going to make it, and uh, he wanted you to pick up the pace a little bit. But I know you made it with like two or three seconds to spare. So. You ran a little faster than you needed to, apparently. If you have uh, Major Mattis snapping at your heels, <laughs> even verbally, you're going to move faster. You know that. Yeah, well, I know I sure would. Well, uh, I did. That, 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 that's for sure. Um, Craig, still talking about General Mattis. The, the man is a legend, obviously, mm. and has been so phenomenally successful and, and has been um, – instrumental in helping to keep our country safe over the years are there any particular quotes or sayings that uh that have been attributed to him that are among your favorite well like i mentioned before just the personal ones that i've carried with me for uh, throughout my life but one of the things that always amazed me is his, his personal nicknames you know mad dog mattis and chaos you know, uh, sign chaos yeah his book was about that, and it, it shocked me because knowing the man that I knew when he was our XO, he was just a real brilliant man. You never saw that side of him where he was also one of the bravest people that you're ever going to meet and a true patriot and a great American. Yeah, absolutely. Tre- tremendous guy. 
and uh, we are all very fortunate to to have them there at Naps with us uh, during that time. And uh, speaking of tremendous people, we had another one. We had another one I want to talk to you about. Uh, another Marine. I the Marines keep coming up in these conversations. <laughs> I, I don't think it's a coincidence. Your father uh, knew who to pick to, to yeah. run Naps with him. Um, yeah. So the next one we want to talk about is a recon Marine. <laughs> Captain Bill DeCamp, um, what a great guy. What, what are some of your memories from Captain DeCamp back in the day? Extremely intimidating. He was the type of guy. Actually, I had him as a teacher as well. So it's like I... I what, was he a history teacher, math teacher? Math or what? teacher, math I believe teacher? he was. Right. But it's like it was bad enough that you had to see him at the end of the day to do his, his runs, his legendary runs that he wasn't happy unless you were thrown up at the end of the run. Oh, and I if know. you didn't throw up, then he would just start making you do sit-ups and push-ups until you either passed out or you did throw up. And he would do them with you, which was what astonished me. He would never ask you to do something that he was not willing to do himself. But a funny story, uh, we stayed in touch. He was a Long Island boy himself. He's from Bayshore, and I was from Massapequa, so a couple of towns away. I went to Farmingdale High School. And I was home for a Christmas vacation, uh, plebe year. And we had exchanged numbers, and we were on the phone, and I was at my mother's house. And I'm walking around my mother's house in my underwear, talking to Captain DeCamp on the phone. And in the middle of this conversation, as he's asking me how I'm doing, is everything going well? You know, I'm thinking he's extremely concerned about this. <laughs> he stops, and, and without losing a breath, he says, Perry, I hope you're standing at attention when you're talking to me. And I'm in my underwear. So I'm sitting here in my skivvies, and I said, I hope he's not talking what I think he's talking about. So I actually snapped to attention and started to talk to him on the phone in my skivvies at attention. That's how much he intimidated me on the phone even. But he yeah. was a, a great guy, a great leader. Uh, he was the type of guy, just like General Mattis, just like Captain Stroud. You you would go anywhere if they asked you to fight with them. Yeah, he, he he's obviously he, he was he's a great American, and, and, he, and he served the country well as a Marine for many years. Um, you know, a, a story that's really funny about Captain DeCamp, you talked about his running. Yeah. He used to run us <laughs> into the ground, like you said, and, and he did. He enjoyed it when we would throw oh, up. Yeah. That That's what he wanted to do. And uh, my most vivid memory uh, uh, is not actually the throwing up, but the time he ran us up the bridge during a, a snowstorm, snowstorm yeah. and we got up to the top and of the bridge. we did push-ups when we got up there. It, that, it, it, it was crazy. And, and then, uh, Dad, we've talked about this. Uh, the Newport Police Department, I think, called you about some uh, midshipman candidates up running on the bridge. So uh, I think you told me you got in touch with Captain DeCamp, and how did that conversation go between the two of you? Actually, the police department, the Newport Police Department, thanks to Major Mattis, we had a good relationship with. It was a rather benign conversation. The other conversation I had uh, that brought Mattis to a head was with the admiral who was the president of the War College. Because if you remember, uh, Will, Ma uh, Will DeCamp took you right underneath the president's bedroom mm -hmm. on the morning run. And you would always manage to chant a few uh, four-letter off-colored uh, uh, ditties to keep the pace going. So I got the call, not so much about you guys being on the bridge in a snowstorm, but being under the admiral's window, 
singing dirty songs. And <laughs> I do remember that. And, yes, he, he talked to us about that as well. We can't do that no more. <laughs> and I, I got instructed that, he, that you were no longer welcome on Coasters Harbor Island, that you had to find another route. Uh, so the police were the least of my problems. What did did you have to uh, give Captain DeCamp any instructions on uh, not running us up to the top of the bridge during a snowstorm anymore? Well, first of all, I'm smart enough not to give a Marine, uh, uh, recon Marine, any instructions. But we had a very strict chain of command. All I did was to call in Major Mattis and say, Major, I have a problem and I need your help in resolving it. And I told him what my problem was. And uh, as far as I know, I never had another complaint from the police department, never had another complaint uh, from the admiral. And uh, Will uh, DeCamp continued to talk to me, so Major <laughs> Mattis must have found a solution. All right, that, that's awesome. Well, Craig, another thing I want to talk about. So people come to NAPS uh, for a lot of different reasons. The reason you were there, because you were a tremendous athlete, and basically it was just simply an opportunity for the Naval Academy to redshirt you get you uh, to uh, work on academics for an additional year while you're uh, working on your on your athletic skills. And you're actually a two-sport star, both football and lacrosse, and you're actually voted uh, the MVP for the lacrosse team at NAPS. And I believe you were runner-up for all-around best athlete at, at at NAPS. So what was it like being a student athlete at NAPS? What, what would you say your, um, your routine was like that? And, and how did, what did that all involve? Well, again, I always felt that NAPS was a coming of age. It matured me. It matured me physically. It matured me intellectually. It provided me with a great educational background, first and foremost. By the time we went into the Naval Academy, I was very confident and very comfortable that I was going to be able to withstand the rigors and the demands that the Naval Academy was going to throw upon us. And I, I credit all that to the NAPS program. Until uh, today, I tell people, you should go to NAPS. It's going to be the, the, the coming of age of your life as well. So playing two sports there, it, it was something challenging because the academics were so demanding. However, I also used that as my crutch to keep myself focused on what I needed to do. So the sports yeah. was always like my go-to place where I got away from the pressure and the stress and everything else that academics can could present to you. My sports was my release. Well, and not only did you excel in sports, um, you also excelled in leadership. So you, you were actually appointed platoon commander uh, for your platoon. So what was that all about and what was that like and what kind of – interaction would you have with with uh the company officer and the, and of course major mattis and the yankee air pirate here what what did that look like well again uh, an experience that's that i carry with me for the rest of my life i i could start with gunny ski you know gunny ski took his time this is one of the things that so many people don't know about him or recognize about him because he was such an intimidating figure but he also had a real compassionate side to him I can recall numerous conversations and numerous times that he would spend with me making me a better leader, 
teaching me how to call a cadence better, showing me how to march my troops better. He instilled in me that persistence and that leadership quality of never giving up, practice makes perfect, and continue to just work at your craft. And Gunny Ski was a guy that I could turn to and speak to, and he would be the leader that would guide me on a day-to-day basis. Then I was fortunate enough to meet with uh, Major Mattis once a week, roughly, and to discuss the platoon business and what was going on in our platoon, what he expected from us as a platoon. He would get all the reports of how we're doing in our drill and our academics, and he would discuss things with me on a level that was much greater than I've ever experienced before. It was a person expecting you to carry out a responsibility that was far greater than any responsibility that you've ever had in your life. And he was there to guide you through that, which is quite comforting and actually educational because I've tried to employ that when I became an officer and I had young uh, officers working for me. I would meet with uh, Captain Stratton maybe once every other week, uh, and that was always, again, intimidating at first because you would go in there and this was the captain and this was the command, and you knew his history. You knew what he went through as a POW. You knew his success in the Navy. He was a legend, and he was the type of guy that, again, when you went into his office, he would give you lessons that you would carry with you in, at, through life, which I do to today. So I feel very fortunate that I had the opportunity to meet with him. I wish it was even more often, but I know Naps is very time-constrained with your own free time. I was fortunate to go to your house several times and, and have the, the luxury and the privilege to be in the company of your mom and your dad away from the academia. And I feel that that was a, a tremendous memory in my life. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that, for both your parents. Yeah, you know, Dad, you and I talked about a lot. I'm always asking you if you remember so-and-so from the NAPS class in 1983. And uh, a lot of times uh, the people I'm asking you about you don't remember because um, a lot of the time the people that you were dealing with and, and, and the names that got up brought up to your level were people that were getting in trouble, uh, and that's what required your attention. But it, it just so happens Craig is a guy here that you've known very well and very close for many years, not because he ever got in trouble, because, but because he did such uh, an exemplary job there at NAPS. He was, so that, that's kind of a, a unique thing about Craig, wouldn't you think? Well, very unique in, in terms of the fact that uh, – he knew you and that he was able to become part of our family within within our house at Coasters Harbor Island. Uh, part of the reason you didn't, I didn't get very close to many people um, beyond uh, Craig and some of the others was that people don't really understand what my job was. Major Mattis ran naps. People don't really understand that. My function was to get the assets necessary to keep the school going, to keep the dangers away from it, the people who are trying to destroy our prep schools and undercut us, uh, to charm the politicians who don't understand what the resources involved uh, mean, and then to take care of the admissions board. My primary function is to get you guys your appointment if I don't get you an appointment to the academy, I've failed. So a lot of my stuff was outside of it, and it was Jim Mattis, Major Mattis, 
that made that thing tick and made it run. You know, Dad, that's um, um, what I found funny about that explanation is you called, I think you just called yourself the charming officer. <laughs> you had to charm. Uh, is, that, is that what your title was? You wouldn't believe the measure of South Boston charm <laughs> that I can exude when it comes to survival. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, I sure appreciate that. And I got my appointment to the Naval Academy. And so you charm somebody. And so I greatly As appreciate I. that. So thank God for that. Ask Johnny Hughes about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, Donnie Hughes yeah. is a whole nother topic. And uh, Donnie Hughes, I think we're going to call you out right now. Wouldn't you think that's appropriate? Craig? I think so. I he, think Donnie needs to. He needs to come and, and have a bourbon with the Yankee Air Pirate uh, and, and do a podcast. And with I us. would fly up to see him again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Craig, another thing I want to talk to you about. So we had a great year in Newport that year, and we graduated in the spring of 1983, and we had one heck of a party at one of those mansions in Newport, and um, it was a fun night. We had a great night in, in the mansion, and we were so blessed to have your entire family come up to Newport for that event. Uh, you sat at the table with us, and we had a terrific night. What do you remember about that night? Well, it was just a tremendous honor that um, Captain and Mrs. Stratton invited us to sit at the table. My mother was uh, aware of Captain Stratton, had met with him, had discussed things with him. And if you've met my mother, it's one of those people you don't easily forget. So uh, I was nervous sitting at the table. I didn't want my mother and Captain Stratton getting into one of these beautiful debates that Captain Stratton and I get into now. <laughs> so it was actually a pleasure evening that turned out to be the most memorable evening for my mother, for my, my brother, my family, uh, sitting at the table, meeting a lot of the dignitaries that came to see Captain Stratton and to be with him at, on his, the, his class that's graduating. It was a tremendous honor, a lot of fun, great memory. Yeah, so, Dad, you were... The NAPS was your last tour in the Navy before you retired. So can you tell me why why was it that the NAPS class of 1983 graduation ball was your why was that your favorite graduation ball? What made it my fa favorite graduation ball was that the police department was not attending it. <laughs> All right, I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean, but um, it was certainly my favorite, uh, Craig, and I know it was your favorite, mm -hmm. too. So we actually were fortunate, and we both graduated in the class of 83. We went on to the Naval Academy, graduated in 87, and you took a uh, commission— in the Supply Corps, and you did a 20-year career in the Navy. Uh, so talk a little bit about why did you decide to go Supply Corps? I, I had gotten hurt playing football, and when it was coming time for service selection, you have to go through your final physical, and I failed my physical, and they told me that I was NPQ, which means non-physically qualified for unrestricted line. So I had to go restricted line. But as you know, at the Naval Academy, they don't teach you what restricted line is. They don't have you go to the Naval Academy to be a restricted line officer. They put a lot of money into you to be a warrior, a fighter. So the only restricted line job I knew of was a chaplain. And I remember getting the news that I had to be restricted line. And I said, I have to be a chaplain. I'm, I was a walking sin. I mean, how would I be a, a chaplain? I mean, 
Somebody comes to me for confession, and I say, don't worry about it. That's not that bad. So I, I called home. I spoke to my mother. I was, like, in tears and said, Ma, I don't know what to do. They told me I have to be a chaplain. And even she said, a chaplain? <laughs> and I told her the whole story, and she said, call your brother. My brother had graduated from the academy a couple of years prior to that. And I called him up, and he, you know, set me straight and told me that restricted line has engineering, supply core, and many other great opportunities. And I chose supply core, which is the business supply of the, the military and the Navy. Yeah. And, and you had a terrific career. You served for 20 years, retiring as a, uh, as a Navy commander. Um, you talked about your favorite tour before was that department head tour we talked about. What were some of the other assignments uh, that you really stand out in your mind from over the years? I was fortunate after my first, I had fleeted up uh, to become a department head on my first tour, which was very challenging and not much fun. <laughs> so I think they wanted to reward me a little bit after that difficult tour. And they sent me to NACO, which is the Navy Acquisition Contracting Offices School, where they sent me to D.C. to become a defense contractor, which was great. Uh, and fortunately, I was able, I met with a, a gentleman, Captain uh, Walton, who was the, Waldron, who was the uh, supply officer at the Naval Academy. And he asked me to come back to the, supply, uh, the Naval Academy and be the contracting officer there. So Captain Waldron spoke with Admiral Straw, and they made that happen. And the next thing I know, I'm stationed back at Annapolis, only removed a couple of years. And that was an extremely enlightening tour because you saw things differently for the first time. You know, I was always a midshipman at the Naval Academy. Now I'm back as an officer at the Naval Academy. But fortunately, in the supply community, and I was the contracting officer, I had very little to do with the midshipmen. I had to do with more of the staff there and supplying uh, all the products and uh, all the contracts for the Naval Academy. So that was a great tour. Uh, I, I discussed my second department head tour, which I thought was just a rewarding tour. I was sent out to Hawaii on a ship that had failed its supply uh, inspection and I went out there to fix this and it turned out to be a great great ship great reward until today I have people and guys that worked for me that call me up and still dear friends today enlisted in offices alike so that's a rewarding tour when you can stay in touch with people as I am here today with the two of you so many years later uh, that's what it's all about in my opinion yeah uh, a lot of the other tours I spent as in DC Crystal City was back then and I was at NAVSUP headquarters in 01, where I did finances there. Okay. And then uh, we were talking earlier, and we were talking about you You kind of, on one of, one of your uh, tours when you were living in Annapolis, you actually got uh, involved in politics a little bit as chief of staff <laughs> uh, for the mayor there. T tell us a little bit about that. When I was the contracting officer, like I said, my second tour there, I met the mayor of Annapolis, Al Hopkins. And at that time, the Seven River Bridge well, they were looking at redoing that bridge, but it turns out that half of it's part of the Naval Academy and the other half is the city. So being that I was the contracting officer for the Naval Academy, I was the point of contact for the city when it came to all the con contracts and, and structural uh, information provided to the, the uh, people that are doing the work. So I met with Mr. Hopkins, May Hopkins, several times, and we formed a friendship. And then when I retired, he was going to run again for mayor, and I became his chief of staff. So yeah, that, and a, how long did you do that job? Eighteen for? months. Wow, that that's pretty cool. Uh, pretty neat stuff. And then, um, where were you? Where were you stationed when you actually retired from the Navy? What was your last duty station? NAVSUP headquarters. 
in Dillsburg, Pennsylvania. Actually, Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania okay. is where it's at. And then when you retired from there, did did you move out to Hawaii after that? No, when that I, was later. I went to to Annapolis. Okay. And and worked with Al Hopkins on his campaign, and then after that, my mother got pancreatic cancer, and I resigned from his campaign and went back up to New York and took care of my mother, and that's how I met my wife. She was my okay. mother's nurse, Kay. That, that's when you met Kay, yep. okay. And then now, uh, we, and by the way, uh, Craig's beautiful wife, Kay, is here in the house with us, <laughs> thank God, because she's more enjoyable to be with than, <laughs> than my good buddy sometimes. I'm just messing with you. But she is a pretty lady. Um, and uh, you two, what, what's really unique is you and Kay uh, own and operate Da Marino Italian Restaurant in New York City. I think you're probably our only classmate, only Navy 87 class, classmate that own and operate a restaurant. Uh, it's certainly the best known of, of any that, that I'm aware of. So tell me how you came to be the owner and operator along with your wife, of uh, the, in my opinion, the best restaurant in New York City? Well, a, a dear friend of mine was the original owner of the restaurant, and he always seemed to have him say, it's, it's not an easy profession to be in. And he always had some issues over the years, and he would ask me to help him. With my supply co background, we do a lot of food service. And when you're in the Navy, you're feeding a whole ship sometimes for $1.90 a day. And if you could succeed by serving sailors four meals a day and a dollar ninety running a restaurant in the civilian world i thought was going to be very easy surprise on me it's not you're dealing with a lot more issues than you do in the navy but over the years i would help him fix his issues and fix his problems got to a point where he was no longer able to physically do it and i bought the restaurant from him. i discussed it with Kay. i said Kay, let's do this i don't want to see this restaurant fail it's something of an opportunity i was at a point in my life that i was ready to take on a bigger challenge and Kay was the one who actually convinced me to step forward and do it. So that's what we did. We bought it, okay. and uh, we love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, and I, I've been there several times for dinner. It's tremendous. The food is incredible. The location's outstanding right there by all the theater shows yeah, and everything. Square, right? Yeah, oh, it, it's fantastic. And uh, Gramps, we're trying to get you there for a visit. <laughs> that, uh, the food is outstanding. Well, I think that uh, there's no room for me because all of your daughters are going to spend <laughs> most of their time, and now they're bringing their boyfriends through. So if you ever get an empty seat, let me know. <laughs> well, I will say this. We do have a, a wall of honor in the restaurant that uh, Kay and I have set up, and at the top of that wall of honor is a picture of you, Captain Stratton, and it's a picture that you had given me, and it sits right at the top of that. And then I, on that wall, I also have other people that I served with or I have known in the military that has certainly had an influence on my life, and you were certainly at the top of that list, sir. Is that the one right next to the dartboard? <laughs> no, he's got you in a good spot, Dad. I, I can attest to that. I've been there. It, it's pretty impressive, and um, it, it's, a, it's a neat place. And, and what I think is I, I, I spent uh, – I was up there one summer – and I had dinner with you, Admiral Straw, Don, and Donnie Hughes yeah. was with us. And it was during Fleet Week. I think it was right at the end of Fleet Week. And what I thought was so special, what really struck me, was how out of the way you went to make all the sailors 
uh, feel comfortable there. You had signage out front trying to attract uh, the the uh, sailors to come in, offered them all discounts to eat, and you had a lot of sailors there in your restaurant. Correct. I, I would like to take all the credit for that, but I can't. My wife Kay actually, that's a, certainly one of her projects that she, she never misses out on. She certainly goes out of her way to support all the military and we have several programs for either retired, enlisted. If we could get them work, we'll hire them. If they're coming for a restaurant, we'll give them meals and drinks on us. It's something that we enjoy. If we can't pay it forward, what are we doing this for? So that's how we look at it. You know, if we could pay it forward and hopefully they'll pay it forward to the next people that are in uniform, then we'll keep this tradition going and the honor that it carries with it. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, it sure is impressive to me. It made a big impact on me, and I know it does others as well. And um, I also want to thank you uh, right now uh, for treating my kids so well. I mean, they spend a lot of time coming into your restaurant. I got two living in New York City full-time right now, and they get to see you. They get to see Kay. They get to see Tom. And you guys all treat them uh, so well, and, and I appreciate it so much. Well, it's actually it's our pleasure, and, and as I mentioned to you and Dawn and Captain and Mrs. Stratton, you should all be very proud. These these kids are absolutely incredible children. They have the most respect. They are the classiest. They handle themselves well. They truly represent your family, and it shows how well this family acts together and loves each other. And I have to admire that. And, and we certainly love you, my man. And I want to thank you again for, for taking the trip here. I know you and Kay are really busy right now. There's a lot of things going on in, in life and in business. And uh, you taking the time to come here and sit down on the 47th uh, edition of Freedom Day is pretty special. I love you, man. Same here. 37 years ago today, your family changed my life, and I'll always be grateful. God bless you and Kay. We really appreciate you, my friend. Thank you, sir. All right. Craig, you about ready for a bourbon, my friend? <laughs> nice one. Keep the ice small. Okay. Dad, you ready for a bourbon? <laughs> Mount them up, move them out. <laughs> All right. Love you, Dad. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Yankee Air Pirate Podcast. We've got more episodes coming out soon. Please be sure to rate and review our podcast on your podcast player. Remember, that's an easy way to help us spread these stories. And don't forget... Anyone can contact us with questions or feedback by emailing us at theyankeeairpirate at gmail.com. That's theyankeeairpirate, all one word, at gmail.com. We try to answer as many questions as we can during the lightning round at the beginning of each episode. We appreciate all our listeners. Semper Fi. Semper Fi.